Hello, and welcome to a special midterm elections podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and joining me today is David Brady, Deputy Director and Davies Family Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, also the Bowen H. and Janice Arthur McCoy Professor of Political Science and Leadership Values in the Stanford Graduate School of Business and a Professor of Political Science in the School of Humanities and Sciences at Stanford. Basically, if it, if it can be done at Stanford, he does it. Uh, Dave, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. So let me start this way. I am going to present to you a few different theories of the case about the 2014 elections and you can tell me what you think of each of them, what their sort of relative strengths and weaknesses are. First, let me give you the sympathetic case for Republicans. The public seems to have turned sharply against President Obama. The economy, while it may be getting better, is still pretty lackluster. Um, this is the first election since all of the major performance failures with Obamacare. First couple of years of the president's second term has brought with it just this avalanche of bad news for Democrats. And on top of it all, you're dealing with a midterm electorate that is going to be demographically favorable to the GOP. What do you make of that case? Um, I think it's a pretty good case. I guess the uh, failure of uh, President's Affordable Care Act and the uh, other part are more in the mind of um, Republicans than in the mind of Democrats. Uh, so, so their Democrats don't feel it was a failure. The numbers signed up seem okay. Uh, the rest of it seems fairly accurate. The president's down. That generally is correlated with losing seats in a midterm election. And finally, the I think the most important point from my perspective was the electorate in 2014 will not be like the electorate in 2012. So that does that mean by extension that even if Republicans do pretty well this time around, they shouldn't automatically – take that and port that over to 2016 and assume that that has um, any any hold on the kind of electorate they're going to be looking at the next time. I think it would be akin to Republicans who in 1994 after the congressional win and the Republicans in 2010 after the big win assumed that uh, Bill Clinton would not be reelected in 96 and that Barack Obama would not be reelected in 2012 as I recall. If my history serves me correctly, uh, they did get reelected. Okay, now let me plead the the Democrats' case to you. Uh, they obviously they start from something of a disadvantage. Most honest Democrats are going to concede that the president's in a tough spot, but when they try to put the best possible spin on it for the midterms, they say the economy is improving. Uh, Obamacare actually does pretty well with voters when you talk about its specific constituent parts rather than just kind of the entire program as an abstract concept. Republicans are, are fading demographically. They're out of touch with the country on social issues. They become an obstructionist party without much of an affirmative agenda. And for them to top it all off, Democrats have got this turnout thing down to a science in the way that the GOP doesn't. Uh, what do you make of that? Um, first three parts uh, seem reasonable. The question about uh, the Democrats have this down to a science. Um, they certainly did better than the Republicans in 2012. But what they mean by that is you can go out and purchase uh, in today's marketplace all these lists telling you where people shop, where they do, etc., and uh, what the Democrats did was get those lists that are available to everybody and make sure that somebody talked to them. 
Um, and that works more in a presidential election year where in a presidential election year, we know who's going to turn out to vote, essentially. The dark art of off-year elections is we don't know. We, we know if, if, uh, if you give me your demographics, I can pretty well predict how you're going to vote, but I can't predict whether you're going to vote. So the weak spot on the Democratic push there is, uh, is the who's going to turn out. And I don't think all that technology is going to turn their voters out. So last one of these that I'll give you. This one doesn't cut in a straight partisan line either way. The idea is the American people are upset with Washington. They don't like either party. They've spent the past decade or so sort of whipsawing between Democrats and Republicans. The number of self-identified independents are up. And if you're an incumbent, regardless of party, you're on notice. What do you think of that one? Uh, whoever uh, – I would like to bet a, a considerable amount of money against that because the question is what proportion of incumbents who are running for re-election will win and the answer is going to be well over 90 percent. Right. So uh, what happens is it's true that people don't like Washington and it's true that they don't like Congress but they like their congresswoman or congressman and that's what uh, that's what divides it. Now, and that goes back to the, the Democratic point either that the Republicans are out of touch. It's a, that's a case the Democrats are trying to make, but I don't, I don't think it will be very successful in House races. So, Dave, with this election, I mean, the macro question is really do Republicans take control of the Senate? No one's looking at a, a switch in the House. A couple of questions on this. First, do we ascribe too much predictive value to history? That, that is to say one of the rationales you always hear is that, look, this is what happens in the sixth year of a presidency, opposition surges in Congress. And of course there are exceptions. didn't happen with Bill Clinton in 1998. But barring exceptional circumstances like that, does that merit being regarded as almost a law of American politics? Well, it's regarded – often regarded as a law, but it's sort of not a causal explanation. One, one there are predictive models where you take everything that works. So you look at the variable you just talked about, sixth year of the president's, president's uh, second term is uh, uh, first last uh, time he's going to uh, be uh, judged. You can look at uh, the generic congressional vote, presidential popularity. Uh, there's a lot of those things, and a lot of people put those together, slam them together, put it in, say what predicts, and all of them do a reasonable job, but it's not actually a causal explanation. And it seems to me the better causal explanation is that what happens in off-year elections is that the turnout drops by about 15 percent uh, and the turnout uh, difference uh, helps Republicans rather than Democrats because what happens is old people vote more than young people, white people vote more than minorities. So uh, the one thing that is beneficial to Democrats is that more women will vote in the off-year election. Uh, but again, there the difference is more married women are going to vote in the off-year election. And as you know, Romney carried married women in the 2012 election. So on average, the election, off-year election, is going to favor Republican constituencies versus Democratic constituencies. And points you made earlier, of course, are that's exactly who the Democrats are trying to get out. Uh, and they'll try and get them out and, and they'll try to make the races local. So that it's the state of Colorado. It's not a referendum on Obama. 
it's a it's a it's the two senator it's the can two senate candidates in Colorado against each other. So that's what the Democrats will try to do, and the Republicans, of course, will try to make it uh, a referendum on President Obama and uh, Affordable Care Act, etc. So, looking specifically at these dynamics, at the 2014 dynamics, let me just—I'll just give you the reductionist question. Uh, finish the sentence. Republicans will win the Senate if. If um, I'm right about turnout, the Republicans will win 51 or 52 seats in the Senate. And, and what are does the GOP have sort of a, or I should say, where is the potential sort of soft underbelly for the GOP? There have been concerns about. Uh, Kansas, for instance, or some people like Mitch McConnell in Kentucky or the open seat in, in Georgia. What what could end up snagging this and I leading think, them? Go sorry. ahead. I think that uh, Kansas, uh, Kansas is, uh, is a problem. The opponent, uh, the Democrat independent running uh, in Kansas, now the Democrats dropped. He started at 15 percent. Uh, so that's a race that um, is uh, even in the polls. And uh, I have I personally happen to believe in that, that as you get closer to the election, that what will happen is the Republican nature of the state will assert itself and the state will probably uh, remain Republican. But that's not anything I bet a fortune on. Colorado, uh, the pollsters I follow, which is essentially YouGov, uh, Polymetrics, uh, they still have Colorado uh, remaining a Democratic state. Iowa's dead even. Uh, but Arkansas, Louisiana uh, are uh, look to me like they're going to be Republican. But Louisiana, remember, doesn't go until December uh, because it's an open primary. Landrieu will win the most votes, but she won't get 50 percent. So it'll be a runoff against whichever Republican. And then I think she'll probably lose. Uh, the most interesting thing now is Georgia, where there is a third party candidate uh, who's going to take votes from the Republican. And if in Georgia, Georgia has a rule, too, if you don't get 50 percent, you don't win. So it's possible that the Georgia election – and if there is a runoff, the Georgia election isn't until January. So it's possible that you really wouldn't know who controls the Senate until January. Now, Dave, what might we learn from this election? And, and here's what I mean by that question. It's, it's widely held that you, you don't want to extrapolate too much from any one race, any one time. But you look at the same place over time and you start to try and tease out trend lines. There are a couple of states with Senate races this year, um, Colorado, which you mentioned, where Democrats have made big inroads over the last decade, uh, North Carolina, which Barack Obama put in play twice and won once, uh, Virginia, where the Senate race doesn't seem to be that close, but where Democrats are getting much more comfortable statewide over the last few years. Are there races this year where a certain outcome should get us to start thinking, OK, the, the fundamental dynamics in this state are, have shifted now? I think, that's, uh, I think that's exactly the lesson that uh, Republicans ought to be thinking about. And I think they need to think about uh, how social issues – uh, play out with uh, voters. And I can tell you that uh, as you drop down the age group, social issues uh, work against Republicans. Uh, and so if you look at immigration, those immigration issues, uh, as the country becomes more Hispanic, you can't afford to have uh, 20 to 25 percent of the electorate voting 70 percent against you. So I see that. I think the way you put it is uh, very well stated. And I, I wouldn't want to add to it. That's exactly uh, if I was advising the Republican Party, that's what I'd advise them to be looking at. 
Is, is there a, a built-in tension there in that it seems like and, – and correct me where I'm wrong here because this is off the top of my head. But it seems like that the areas of the country where the Republican Party is the strongest, where they can most consistently count on the Senate seats or the governor's races are also the ones where those kinds of social trends are at least – it's not that they're not developing but at least probably developing slower than in some of the places where Republicans are starting to lose. Well, I agree. If you look at – add to that the state of Texas, add to that the state of Arizona, uh, add to the Colorado states that uh, – turning west, uh, those are not – those are not – that's not good news for the Republican Party long term. Now, what's the long term? You know, the problem for politicians is the long term is two years. So the 2014 election is uh, pretty well uh, settled for Republicans. I think they're going to hold the House. They will get the Senate. But uh, down the road, by 2020, a lot of those states are now going to be in play unless uh, there's some switch there. So let's play this forward. Let's think about actually specifically this two-year window. We assume for a moment that the Republicans are going to take the Senate and you've got sort of two different sets of considerations. One, the political ones that you've been referring to there and then two, the the governing ones, which of course are inextricably tied up with that. But you've got two years conceivably there of Republicans controlling the Congress with a Democratic president. How – what is the the best approach for the party at that point? What do you start prioritizing if you're A, trying to seem – at least capable when it comes to governing and be trying to lay a groundwork where you're you're advancing the ball electorally down the line. But you are not uh, so point number 1 you are not going to get a repeal uh, they're not going to be able to so there there's got the the most conservative wing of the Republican party is going to interpret as that right the question is right after the election of course what did the election mean? Right. The presidential candidates will all be trying to grab the microphone and, and interpret the election in a way that benefits them going into the primary season. The In the congressional level, the congressional leaders, McConnell in the Senate, Boehner in the House, they are going to face pressures from the extreme wings in their party to uh, repeal uh, Affordable Care Act, so on and so forth, which is not going to happen given – that the president will veto it and they cannot sustain the veto. My view is there's been some talk that people are going to try and impeach the president for uh, because he's uh, overstepped the uh, presidential authority and constitution. And, and my view of that is this is similar to what happened to the Democrats in 2006 when they took the House over and the Senate. And the question was there were people who wanted to impeach President Bush and Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic leadership, they didn't get a lot of no legislation done. But what they did do was position their party to be in the best place to win the 2008 election, i.e. they didn't do anything too stupid that annoyed the American people. I think the, what I'm looking for when the Republicans come in, uh, can they do that? And will they sit down and think about are there ways on immigration where they can make a deal with the Democrats and the president and pass some legislation? Uh, I And I can't tell you which of the two is going to happen because I don't know uh, how far uh, I don't I, we don't know how far they'll push uh, the, the conservatives in the party will push Boehner and McConnell. So we'll see. Final question. Give us the view from 30,000 feet. We obviously don't know yet exactly how this year's elections are going to turn out. But when historians of American politics look back at, at this era, what are the salient features going to be? How are they going to characterize this period in American politics? 
I'm going to call this period in American politics, along with my colleague here at Hoover and uh, political science, Mo Fiorina, I'm going to call this uh, era of uncertainty. And it's an era of uncertainty because not just the U.S., but all of the economic democracies are uh, in the world are adjusting to the huge changes in the economy where both China and India are now involved in the global economy and uh, the purse of jobs, inequality, all those things are rising as they did during the first transformation after the Civil War. And the question is, there's no answer to that question. So there seems to be a lot of flip-flopping. And that's because there's some very difficult questions out there. So I think the American people are going to look at this as a spot, not the American people. The American people look at this as uncertain about what they're going to do. So they tilt against the Republicans, then they tilt back against the Democrats. And so the question is, it's an era of uncertainty and mainly, in my view, driven by the great transformation of the world economy. All right. Our guest has been David Brady, Deputy Director and Davies Family Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. Dave, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Good questions. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.